Hi, this is Wilson from Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. After the pandemic, it's been easy to do Chipotle Church, where we get to choose how much church we want every week. Maybe I'll stay home this Sunday. I feel like opening my Bible today, but not tomorrow. I'll go to small group and not Sundays. Our City Monk series challenges this construct of church and pushes us to reorder our life around Jesus and the Sabbath. It's a call to live in contrast to a city that is busy and burnt out. Instead, we live unhurried lives, wrapping our daily and weekly schedule around being with Jesus. I hope you get a chance to check out our church on Sunday in Fullerton, California at 10 a.m. I hope you enjoy the series. Good morning, Renew. Uh, thanks for the prayer. I think I really needed it. I always feel like a little like thing in my gut, but I'll be fine. Um, but as per new renewed tradition, right, we're a church that we call ourselves family, and part of getting to be family is we talk. We talk things through, we get to know each other, and we get nice and deep. And so I'm going to ask you a question today, and you're just going to go into your little circles, get, get to know the people around you. And so if you put up, the question is right there, and I'll just say it. Have you ever had a nickname? Okay. And if so, what was it? Why did you get that nickname? If you never had a nickname, that's not on there, but just to add, if you never had a nickname, share the meaning behind your given name, if you know it. Sound good? All right, perfect. Just gather around with the people next to you, and then I'll see you guys in like five minutes. All right, perfect. I'm going to just bring us back in, but I love hearing volume. Like, I grew up in a big family, so volume is a good thing. Volume means, oh. Volume. Volume, ah, now volume. Volume is always a good thing, right? That means everyone's talking, everyone's having a good time, everyone's getting to know each other, and so that brings joy to my heart. And so I ask you this because, you know, naturally, if I ask you a question, I have to answer it myself, and every time I come up, I'm slightly self-deprecating, right? You get to know a little bit about me that's really embarrassing, whether it be from, like, last time you saw my bowl cut, which was, like, terrible, and I will never do that haircut again. And this time you get to hear more about like elementary Irwin, like way back. And so when I was younger, this is like pretty much all of my elementary to junior high days, I had a very iconic nickname. And to this day, I still kind of hate it. It makes me cringe. Does anyone by any chance know it here? Hmm, yeah. See, none of you knew me as a kid. So the nickname was Irwiner. Mm-hmm. It sucks. So my, my name is Irwin, right? My parents had absolutely no idea what they were doing. They just said, oh, we saw it in a name book and we thought it was really nice. And then, you know, kids are amazingly savage. And so any opportunity, they'll get really creative, right? So Irwin, which like one of my friends in college was like, oh, Irwinner. I was like, oh, that's great redemption. That should be a sermon one day, right? Irwinner, not Irwiner anymore. I know, it's sad. But I grew up with that nickname. And it was so rampant, right, even with, like, at my elementary school, everything, that by the time I was in sixth grade, the first graders called me Irwiner. It's pretty bad, right? And so there was this one first grader in particular, right, 
We lived in the same neighborhood. We had the same bus stop. And then one day, I'm on the bus. We're riding, you know, back home and everything. And he sits right in front of me. And the entire time, he's like bending over. Erwiner. Who bend over? Erwiner. Bend over. Oh, Erwiner. And I'm like, oh my God, this kid's annoying me. I'm going to destroy him. I know, that's a bad heart. Don't, don't do that. And so we get up. The bus stops, right? We're at the same stop. And he purposely rushes to get in front of me. And he turns around, and he's, like, walking back. And he's, like, he's looking at me, like, straight in the eye. He's, like, Erwiner, Erwiner, Erwiner. And then he says it higher and higher, right, just to get on my nerves. I'm, like, okay, this kid is done for. Um, You know, I have a lot of rage in my heart. I've come to the Lord with that. And so if you know buses and if you've grown up with the bus, there's kind of the lane and then the stairs. The stairs are pretty steep, right? Each stair is, like, another foot drops, feels like another foot drop. And then there's like a two-foot drop because the bus is elevated, right? And so this kid's about to round the corner. He's just ticking me off. All my gears are winding. And eventually, I just am like, I see the stairs, and I see an opportunity. Oh, yeah, you know what's coming, right? I push the kid. And not, not like a, eh. It was like two hands, full body. The kid goes down. It's terrible. I know. Sorry. I'm, I'm apologizing a lot today because I regret that, too. Thankfully, kid lands on his butt. Best place to land. We know that, right? If you've ever ice skated, they always tell you, land on your butt. And he just runs home. He's crying. And I'm like, I feel vindicated. And the best part, and I really say the best part, I never heard the nickname Erwiner out of his mouth again. Right? Shush. Closed. It's perfect. And so the moral of my story is this. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, Cobra Kai, okay? For all the Karate Kid people, sorry. No, no, it's not, it's not. And I also don't condone violence, right? This is me 20 years ago, right? I can't believe I'm saying 20 years ago. Right now, my life's good, right? I have a job that I love. I get to pastor youth, and dude, there's so much fun. As long as they don't turn out like me. I have great friends, I have great family. I, I honestly think I have everything I feel like I need. I have God, right? And yet when I look back at my past, this memory is so clear. I remember the nickname, Erwiner. I remember being made fun of. I remember the feeling of being hurt verbally, emotionally. And then as I just shared with you, like I remember hurting someone else out of that same hurt. And I know this is relatable for us, right? We've all been hurt by someone. We've all hurt someone as well, whether it was intentional or not, whether it was physical, mental, spiritually, or maybe it came in the form of berating, broken relationships, unresolved conflict, argument. We've all been hurt, and we've hurt someone else. And the world we live in today, right, outside of this church, out that door, It's just an extension of our own personal stories. It's a hurting and broken place, and people day in and day out hurt one another. You know, I was just watching the news this past week, and all I see is, like, slander, like, political slander. I try to stay up to date with all that stuff, and it's mad political slander everywhere, especially with, like, local elections going on. Turn the channel, right? I see the defamation case of Amber Heard, Johnny Depp, 
And the crazy thing is they're going to go for a round two because now there's countersuing. It's like, oh my gosh. And then there's more, right? We talk about the shootings in Volde, Texas, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in Iowa. And then now we have, like, there's a continuing war across the world in Ukraine. Like, this world, people continue to hurt each other. What are we supposed to do about that? How do we approach that? And I'm not here to tell you, like, you got to do X, Y, and Z. This is exactly what's going to solve it. Like, I'm too young and naive. I don't know if I have the answer. But I hope today that as we go through God's word, right, this is God's word, and we go into the life of Joseph and his story, that it wouldn't be Irwin wisdom, it wouldn't be some practical thing to do, but it would be godly wisdom for what do we do in this world today? And as believers, as, as Renewed Church, I want us to really settle in on this one phrase. You know, if you're going to take anything out from today, settle in on this one phrase. Forgiveness is the bridge to new life. And we need to receive this kind of forgiveness, and we need to offer this kind of forgiveness if we want to see change in this world. And so if you have your Bibles, you're, you can open up with me. We'll, be in Gen we'll start in Genesis 41, 51 to 52. Now, we're going to jump around quite a bit. There's a lot of text I want to get through, but, you know, I got to be sensitive with time. And so before I jump into the text, I'm just going to quickly summarize a little bit about Joseph, right? Joseph has not had an easy life. We kind of know that. His brothers threw him into a pit, took away his cloak, so he's like bare naked. Eventually, those same brothers sell him into slavery, and now he's in a foreign land, Egypt. It's like the complete opposite of Canaan. And then once after, he's like, he has some hope, right? Starts building up the ladder, starts getting a little bit more recognition, then he's imprisoned. Like, this guy cannot get a break. And so 20 years since he's been in Egypt, his brother sold him. He was a slave, became like an officer, now in prison. He's called onto by the Pharaoh, right? Head honcho, right? And Pharaoh asked him to interpret a couple dreams. And Joseph is well known for deciphering, right? He knows how these dreams work, and he can decipher these dreams because of God. And so Joseph foretells, according to Pharaoh's dream, seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And Pharaoh's amazed, and so he's like, oh, you know what you're doing. I want to appoint you to second in charge of all of Egypt, right behind me, right under me. Now, Egypt at this time is the most powerful nation in the world, in the known world. So that means that if he's right under Pharaoh, that means he's the second most powerful person in the world. That's mighty power. If I were the second most powerful person in the world, I would destroy all my enemies. Sorry, I'm a, like, I'm a, I need to repent, and I know that. And as abundance, right, he has power. There's abundance in Egypt, and things are pretty good, right? And we see Joseph do something that happens a lot when things are pretty good. He has two sons, right? You have children when things are good. And this is kind of where we start in Genesis, okay? So Genesis 41, verses 51 to 52. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. 
and said, it is because God has made me forget all my troubles and my father's household. 52, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And this is pretty familiar to us, right? Names, right? Just talked about my nickname, Erwiner, whatever. And as we know, names are really important, right? They hold emotion, they hold significance, they hold meaning, right? A few months ago, we had the parents come up and they're doing a baby dedication and each parent was like saying like, oh, like we named our kid Jonah. Why? As a cautionary tale of what not to be, right? Be faithful, don't be disobedient. Or there was Banks, right? And it was the story of, of finding faith and in the struggle, right? This song called Banks soothed them, soothed their faith. Or there was Maven, right? And Maven was this combination of bringing family names together and creating this bond to this child, right? Names are extremely important and they have immense significance. And for Joseph, and what we see here for Joseph is that the names of his sons are a reflection of what God has done in his own life, right? If you look at the text, it says, it is because of God, what? That Joseph has forgotten his past. It is because of God that Joseph bears fruit in the land of affliction or suffering. And I must ask us, how often is that our reason? The simplicity of saying because of God. It sounds kind of weird, right? Like overly spiritual. Like if someone told me and just went up to me, he's like, ah, oh, because of God, like I, I drank soda today. I was like, what the, why, why? Oh, because of God, I went for a walk today. That sounds a little strange, right? It's a little suspect. And even I feel that, right? And I'm here preaching before you. <laughs> and I don't know if my suspicion is justified or your suspicion is justified. And I think that leads really well into our first point for today, and it'll be up there. Forgive. What? How does, how does that relate? Well, we must learn to forgive. Why? Because of God. Right, the simple answer because of God. So I was part of Epic. Epic is like a crew ministry, college campus, college ministry, evangelism, really good stuff. You should do it. Now we had what we called, and I don't think you guys do this anymore, but we had what we called the four spiritual laws. Maybe you do, yes? Yeah, outdated, okay. It's okay, I'm outdated too, I get it. And, but I've always found the four spiritual laws personally extremely helpful and very clear. Now, if you go to the next image, there's like an image of a cliff, right? And so if you look closely at it, you'll see, man, there's a guy on one side, right? And then on the cliff, it looks empty on the other side, but you'll notice it's kind of brighter, right? That's God right there. And in between, right, the cross, ignore the cross for just a little bit, there's a gap, right? And there's, it's a big gap. It's a wide gap. Just as big as those cliffs are, that gap is just as wide. Now, that gap is sin, Right? What sets us apart from God, what separates us from God is sin. And we need to find a way to bridge that gap. How do we get to God? How do we have a relationship with God? It needs to be bridged. Right? And, dude, this four spiritual laws does this really well. And they explain how this bridge is Jesus. Right? That the atoning work of Christ on the cross, and that's why we see the cross kind of flatten out, right? become that bridge. That the atoning work of Christ on the cross, that Christ is the bridge, 
that Christ is the propitiation, the substitution for our sin. And we see here that God himself, right, becomes the, gri- becomes the bridge. The bridge in which we are forgiven for our sins, the bridge in which we have access and direct access to, to the Heavenly Father, we're forgiven, right? This is the good news. This is the gospel. And this isn't anything new either. Ephesians 4.32, really quickly, it says this, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other. And then it says at the very end of it, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We forgive because of God. Because he forgave first. And the statement is so simple, right? It's five words. We can all say five words. And yet we know that the actuality, the living out of it, is so hard. But I think it begs an amazing question for everyone here. This includes me. I never consider myself outside of this. Have we allowed the simple gospel, the simple answer, to have profound truth, and effect over our complex lives. Can we forgive those who wronged us? And it could be a big list. Can we ask for forgiveness from those we've hurt? That's also a big list. I know I have a huge list. And can we forgive simply because God forgives? I know, it's just a lot of questions, huh? But that leads us to our second point, repent. Now, we're still talking about forgiveness, right? I'm not just going to be like, repent. No, that's, that's not what I want. But I want to bring us back into Joseph's situation, okay? So he had a years of abundance, right? But famine approaches, or famine has actually already approached. And famine plagues all of the ancient Near East. And the only place with grain, with food, is Egypt because of Joseph deciphering Pharaoh's dream. And so Joseph's brothers, who are all the way in Canaan, venture to Egypt to get food. And unbeknownst to them, the man who portions their food is Joseph, their brother, who they think could either be dead or enslaved. And upon them arriving, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And Joseph ends up testing them. And so we're going to go through this really, really quick. It's chapters 42 to 43. I'm going to just summate this, okay? So chapter 42, Joseph takes Simeon, one of the brothers, as collateral. He tells the brothers, return back with Benjamin. Benjamin is a brother that they left behind. Joseph is actually extremely concerned with Benjamin. What if the other brothers did something to Benjamin like they did to Joseph? What if they did to Joseph, what, or what they did to Benjamin, what they did to Joseph? Will they abandon Simeon as well? Leave him in Egypt? Man, these are terrible brothers. What will they do? Chapter 43 continues. The famine continues. They get their provisions. They go back to Canaan, but they run out of food. We need more food. And so the brothers are trying so hard, and they're finally able to convince their father. We need to bring Benjamin with us. We can't get more provisions without Benjamin. And so they bring Benjamin, and upon arriving... Oh man, I wish I had this kind of entrance all the time. Upon arriving, they have a feast set out for them. I would love a feast in front of me. I'm just a big eater in general. And they have a feast, and Benjamin in particular 
Only Benjamin is given five times the portion of everyone else. Five times. If I think of Korean barbecue, I think of five Korean barbecue or like all you can eat. That's too much, but it's the best. Okay. So Joseph really does care for Benjamin. We see that, right? He gives him five times. But it begs the question, what are the brothers going to do? Are they going to become jealous of Benjamin just like they did to Joseph? You know, when Joseph was given the cloak by his father, they got jealous. When Joseph told his brothers, I had a dream that you would bow before me, they were angry, irate, and I think kind of jealous because they were like, I want to be king too, right? Everyone's trying to be the firstborn. Everyone's trying to be the loved son. What are they going to do? In the last test, chapter 44, we see Joseph calling his servant. And he does something very peculiar. He asks his servant to get the silver cup and put it into Benjamin's sack. Now, why would he put a silver cup in the brother he loves the most? To frame him. I know, right? That doesn't make sense at all. But essentially to frame him. And by stealing this silver cup, he's not just stealing from Joseph. Stealing from Joseph, eh, okay. He's stealing from Pharaoh. And this is a sin punishable by death. And when they find that cup in, inside Benjamin's sack, Joseph's like, oh, you know what, I'll be nice. I'll, I won't kill you, but I'll make you my slave. I know, right? That's so, that's so uh, hopeful, right? Oh, you could just be a slave for the rest of your life. And you know what happens? Judah steps in. Now this is really important because Judah, if we look into the context, Judah is the same one who had the idea to actually sell Joseph. He's the one that told the brothers, because the brothers were like, maybe we should kill him. And he's like, no, killing him is too nice. We should actually sell him to slavery. Then his life will just suck forever. That's Judah's heart. But upon Benjamin being framed, Benjamin essentially expecting to be a slave for the rest of his life, Judah steps in and says, I'll take your place, brother. I will take your punishment. I'll be the slave. And if, we, if you look into chapter 44, Joseph is moved immensely. There's no greater love, right, than being willing to die for a brother, a friend. And Joseph finally reveals himself and I don't know if you guys like revenge movies. I love revenge movies. Like Taken, so good. So good. It's so suspenseful, it's dramatic. And the moment they get their, their revenge, you're like, yes, you deserved it. But instead, no. Joseph has absolutely no intention of that. The brothers are there panicking, thinking he's going to kill them. And Joseph's heart is just not that. If you read through the chapters, Joseph just keeps asking, is Benjamin okay? Is Benjamin safe? How's my father doing? Is he alive and well? Even if we jumped forward to Genesis 50, after the father, after Jacob passes, the brothers are paranoid because they think, oh, Joseph's going to betray us now. Joseph's going to abandon us now. And it breaks Joseph's heart. They have to make, the, the brothers make up a story to try to get Joseph's favor. And Joseph's like, you already had my favor. You're my family. And this is sad. And this is relatable. And I, 
I want to talk, because we're talking about repentance here, right? And Joseph's not repenting. And the brothers don't have to necessarily repent in order to earn Joseph's forgiveness. We kind of already saw through the names. Joseph already forgot. He already forgave. But we talk about the brothers in regards to repentance because it mirrors our own repentance. Right? If you think about the test, the brothers have to face what they did wrong. They have to see the one they hurt, Joseph. And each test that Joseph gives them is almost like a reflection of their past character, their past actions. But I also would add that it's a hope of the current change. Right? We see that in Judah. Judah steps up. And I think it's a beautiful story where we see Joseph, right? He has arms open for his brothers. And we see that he cares, he questions, and he actually provides for them. Read it. He provides greatly for them. And it's a scene which is unexpected because they're repentant hearts. They actually have repentant hearts. They feel bad, guilty for what they did. They understand there are consequences behind what they did. But instead, they're met with forgiveness. Because that's what happens. Repentance is met with forgiveness. But when I say the word repent, right, and we, we a little bit said it a little earlier, we hesitate, right? If I were to tell you, repent, repent, you're like, this guy, who does he think he is? He cannot tell me to repent. And I will usually not tell you to repent, to be honest. And a lot of times we use this word as like a shaming tool. And we imagine that dude with the picket sign out there telling everyone repent for the kingdom is near and that he's not wrong. But we all can agree that that's not the method to give that message. Because fear is not the way we evoke repentance. Fear doesn't create a repentant heart. Like one of the best examples I can think of is when I talk to my girlfriend Michelle. And we argue, right? Arguments are natural. It's okay. You know, find the line. Try to resolve. And everyone here knows the feeling, right? You're in an argument, and you know you're in the wrong. And you, sometimes you leave the argument feeling like, okay, I knew I was in the wrong, but I don't know how to go back to them and either apologize or admit that I was wrong. Oh, yeah. We know. We know. You're all like, oh, darn it. Right? Because I think we're all scared. That if we go and we go say, I was wrong, we don't know what they're going to do back, right? Are they going to lash out and say, like, you were wrong. You did do something bad. Are they going to be vindictive? Are they going to be accusative? And we're, we're scared of that. And so I grew up in an Asian household, and we're really good at this. We avoided the problem, right? We just never admitted the problem was there, and we just, you know, they have the whole phrase, like, push it under the rug. It never existed. And so I imagine if I had an argument with Michelle again, and she's my girlfriend, so, you know, I see her quite often. It'll just be like Joseph and his brothers. When the brothers come in front of them, and what happens? Fear, guilt come to mind. I'm thinking in my mind, like, am I going to be punished? Am I going to die? Right? That's Joseph's brothers more so. 
And I, I recognize this as feeling like I'm going to die. And we fear the worst when we admit our worst. Repentance feels this way. I want you to know, it's okay. It's a literal dying to self. But what if I told you, a very hypothetical here, that if you were to admit you're wrong, if you were to ask for forgiveness or apologize, you would be accepted by someone like Joseph. That you would be met with forgiveness, you would be met with reconciliation, you would be met with love, open arms, provision, everything you need. I think it would make it a lot easier, right, to apologize or to go to that person. But there's only one caveat, one condition that you have to meet. You have to be the one to engage. You have to feel convicted enough, assured enough to engage the other person, to take the first step onto the bridge, and to bridge I think a forgiveness that was already there. If we believe that Je if we believe that Jesus bridged the gap, can we see that the bridge was already there? A bridge to reconnect, to resolve, to reconcile everything. That moment, our relationship. And when we learn to engage in this kind of repentance, when we learn to bridge the gap, we learn, I think, really practical things. Admitting our wrongs, but also confessing. We confess that we're not perfect, that we are sinful, and that there are ways in which we hurt others, and inevitably doing so, we feel hurt too. And it's so then significant when we look at this verse, 1 John 1, 9, it's we need to confess. If we confess our sins, what? He is faithful, who God is faithful, and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, all, right? This isn't some, this is all. And we then can learn when we're in these moments think what I've been saying, and I've already said, because of God, we can forgive. It's beautiful. Because of what God has done first, we can forgive. We have a model for forgiveness. And that brings us to our last point today, right? Not too long. New life, right? So what has Joseph taught us so far? He taught us, one, to forgive, two, to repent. And third, new life. Now, if you go into the narrative of Joseph, you see that he provides everything for his brothers. He provides a new land for them to dwell in. He provides provision for them to be fed. He even gets Pharaoh's approval through it all. Pharaoh is like one of his main supporters, saying, "If you, whatever you want for your family, I will make happen for your family. Right? Joseph brings his family back together. They have a new life together. And even when the brothers are like paranoid, right? I told you about Genesis 50. He assures them. He weeps for them. And he says, no, like I'm your brother. We are God's covenant people. If we can't be together, I don't know how else to do this. And it's a beautiful, beautiful narrative of, from struggle 
finding forgiveness from God because of God and then starting new life together as a family. And so I have one last story and I hope it really just hits home for new life. And it breaks my heart to tell this story, but I also know it's really applicable. So a few years ago, this is my sophomore year of college, so maybe more than a few years ago. Right? I was on my first uh, short-term mission trip to East Asia. It's about like six weeks long. And I was with a teammate. And we met this girl, uh, East Asian girl, you know, and I hate to say it, but it felt like typical issues at first, right? She had issues with her father. Uh, most of my friends, we all have like father-dad issues. But she kept sharing. And she kept sharing that she never felt loved by her dad. Her dad would say things like, why are you so stupid? Why are you my daughter? And she just felt verbally abused, attacked, unloved. And like, for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just can't handle the things she's saying. And as she continued to share, she continued to share. And this is like a four hour long conversation. I think me and my, my teammate were just really moved. We, we kept wanting to ask questions. We wanted to understand her story a little better. And so one of the questions we asked her is, one of the questions we asked her was, could you forgive your dad? She's like, I don't know. Like, that's really hard. It's a lot to ask for. And we're like, okay, that's, I understand that. And so the next question, we're like, well, and this is a little bit down more, but we ask her, like, why do you think your dad does the things he does? And she's like, well, I don't know, maybe because he never experienced love or no one said anything really nice to him growing up. This is in Chinese, so, you know, translation is not so great. And we kept just kind of hearing from her, asking her more questions, digging a little deeper. And finally, she was kind of like, you've been asking me so many questions. Uh, like, can I ask you something? And we we're like, okay, like, you know, go, go for it. Like, whatever you ask, we'll try to answer to the best of our ability. And she goes and she asks us, why are you talking to me? <laughs> I know, like, it was like, whoa, 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 like. But what she really meant was, why are you taking so much time to hear everything? Why are you asking so many questions to me? No one has ever done this for me. And it gave an amazing opportunity, I think, for me and my teammate. But this is, a, this is the sucky part. Amazing opportunities don't always end well. And so it gave us this amazing opportunity to share kind of the gospel with her. We told her we believe that there's a heavenly father who loves her dearly. And all the hurt she's gone through from her biological, her earthly father, man, he wants to redeem that. He wants to show her what love would really mean and look like. And she, he wants her to be in the midst of perfect love. But he doesn't just desire that, right, for her. And we told her, we actually think this Heavenly Father wants that for your dad too. That your dad can actually be forgiven for everything. And that when you know a forgiving, loving God, he actually moves us to forgive as well. The deepest parts of our heart, the deepest parts of our hurt, we learn to forgive. We learn to forget. And not forget in terms of like, it just, 
it never happened. But we don't hold on to that pain. It's not a part of who we are anymore. We have new life. And you know what she responded with after we shared this? This breaks my heart. She said, that's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. How could there be such a heavenly father? How could anyone be so forgiving? How could anyone do all those things and teach me what that looks like? That's heartbreaking. But that's the status of the world. And we see it all over media. I've already shared it. We see it with our friends too. Sometimes we just hear it from a friend sharing about their life that they can't fathom something so good because they've already been so hurt by this world. And church, today, when we proclaim and we think about new life, because new life is something to rejoice in. We have the Holy Spirit. God literally dwells in us. That's great news. We're not alone. We're never alone. Do we see the people that do feel alone? That feel stuck in their old life? That feel like they can't move on, they can't forgive? And someone there, right next to them, has the opportunity to hear them out, listen to them, love them, dwell with them. Like, and when I say dwell, it's like you're in with them. And to know what new life looks like. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful narrative that we're meant to be a part of today. And so I'm going to close us with one more verse. And I'll just pray. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has come. The new is here all this is from God who reconciled us himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us, the, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. Church, come out of today knowing one phrase, just one phrase for me. Forgiveness is the bridge to new life. We need to know that. The world needs to know that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, Lord, I, I just imagine there being tension in some ways. And tension comes when things are really personal. Maybe someone here knows a friend, and you're like, man, I, I wish I can reconcile things with them. Maybe the tension comes from, man, I know a friend, and I would love them to just know they're loved and cared for. But sometimes it's awkward, Lord, and you know this. Uh, well, you're, you're great, and you do this super well, but you know how we feel really awkward. And so, Lord, I, I pray that this coming week, and just as a lifestyle, that you would remind us how dearly loved we are. That your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace is purely enough for us. And it's because of you and what you've already done for us that we are moved.
So will we come out today knowing that you have forgiven, not in part, but in full, and we can also live our lives out in full as a result? Teach us what forgiveness looks like, but also teach us continually what our new life looks like, day in and day out, in your provision, in your spirit, and in your goodness. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Renew. Thank you that we believe in the renewing of this world because, Lord, you will do it, and we get to walk alongside of you in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast, or you can visit our website, and your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.